0: Before we begin, I have some news for listeners in the Toronto area. As I did last summer, I'll be participating in a live event in your wonderful city. True Crime Podcast Live in Toronto features a panel discussion with myself, Christy from Canadian True Crime, Robin from The Trail Went Cold, Jordan from The Nighttime Podcast, and Aaron of The Generation Y. In addition to the panel, there will also be a Q&A, case presentations, a meet and greet, and more, it's shaping up to be another incredible event. This event takes place on Sunday, August 18th at the Historic Royal Cinema on College Street, and we hope you're able to join us. If you are interested, you can get tickets now at nighttimepodcast.com slash Toronto. That's nighttimepodcast.com slash Toronto. Tickets are selling fast, so don't wait. I hope to see you there. That's August 18th at the Historic Royal Cinema in Toronto. This week's case takes us to West Michigan, to a place we've talked about before. We are in Kalamazoo at Western Michigan University, the location selected by Talika Patrick, a native of New York State, to continue her studies as she worked to achieve her dream of becoming a doctor. Her mysterious disappearance in 2013 created many questions, conspiracy theories, and cast a shadow over those who knew her, those who loved her, and those who sought to help her. Before we can talk about the circumstances of her death, we need to talk about her life and the choices that led her from New York to Alabama, from California to Michigan. Come with me to December of 2013 when a promising young doctor goes missing and a bizarre and troubling case begins to unfold. Talika was born September eighteenth, 1983, in Queens, New York. She was the oldest child of the family, and her parents were very religious. Her father was a pastor in the Seventh-day Adventist church, and her mother was a nurse. Growing up, Talika excelled in school. She would graduate from the Bronx High School of Science as a national merit finalist. This is an academic distinction based on test scores, academic performance, and extracurricular activities. Talika was attractive, well-liked, and brilliant. And those close to her, they knew she was going places. During her senior year of high school, Talika fielded offers from dozens of colleges, including an Ivy League school. At graduation, she announced her decision to attend Oakwood University in Huntsville, Alabama. Oakwood is a historically black college owned and operated by the Seventh day Adventist Church. Remember, her father was a pastor, and this is the faith she was raised in. Talika graduated in 2004, eventually relocating to California to continue her studies, and it was while she was in California in 2006 that she met the man who would become her husband. Ismail and Talika met on an online dating service. They were an attractive couple and hit it off immediately through their conversations. Talika knew that he was the one for her before they ever met face to face. In spite of a brief breakup 3 months after they met, they married in July of 2006 after only knowing each other for a few months. Before they married, there were two red flags that Ismail disregarded. At one point in the relationship, Talika told him that her favorite movie is A Beautiful Mind, because it was essentially telling her story. She related to the lead character played by actor Russell Crowe. For those who aren't familiar with the film, it was a biopic about John Nash, a well-known mathematician who was both brilliant and schizophrenic. In an odd parallel, the first time his mental illness crossed over into his work was when he was about 30 years old. This is also the case with Talika, but let's not get ahead of ourselves. Talika also told Ismail that while she was an undergrad student in Alabama, she heard what she thought was the voice of God speaking to her. Now, Ismail was not a Seventh-day Adventist, but he was a religious man. He believed in God, and he believed in miracles. He found it odd that she heard a voice. He also knew how deeply religious she was, and how she was raised. He thought the voice she thought she heard may have been an expression of her deep religious beliefs. And while she was in love with Ismail and knew that he was right for her, Talika's parents opposed the marriage. They wanted her to marry someone from their faith and her intended was not a Seventh-day Adventist. Talika persevered, and they married the summer of 2006. The newlyweds moved with Ismael's two children from a previous relationship to Loma Linda, California, where Talika was in medical school, pursuing both an M.D. and a Ph.D. in biochemistry at Loma Linda University. I stated earlier that Talika was brilliant and hardworking— and here she is, pursuing dual degrees at the doctorate level. I can't even imagine how difficult that must have been. She seems to have it all. She's young, highly intelligent, beautiful, happily married. Unfortunately, her intelligence and high performance may have hurt her. It made it easier for Talika to hide or mask her escalating mental illness. And by 2009, She was past being able to hide her psychiatric issues from her husband. She became paranoid that he was cheating on her, or that he was sabotaging her, that her husband was working to keep her from completing medical school. She became physical with him, and he had no choice but to move himself and his children out of the home while begging her to get help so they could save their marriage. He loved her. He did not want to separate or to get a divorce. What he wanted was for his wife to get help. Talika initially agreed to seek treatment, and then she refused, leaving her husband fearing not only for his own safety, but for the safety of his children. And listeners, this right here is a turning point for Talika Patrick. She needs help, and she may have known that she needed help, that something wasn't right. However, there were other issues at play. First, There's a stigma around mental illness. She didn't want to be seen as mentally ill. Second, a diagnosis of schizophrenia or bipolar disorder? That could have derailed her career. Being a doctor was her life's ambition, and the thought of losing this dream? It likely stopped her cold. Talika would eventually file for divorce, and their divorce became official in 2012. In July of 2013, Talika moved to Michigan for her residency in psychiatry with the Western Michigan University School of Medicine at Borges Hospital in Kalamazoo. Talika was in high demand. She could have done her residency almost anywhere. Oddly, she told the staff at Borges that she chose Kalamazoo because it allowed her to be closer to her fiancé, who lived a few miles north, in the city of Grand Rapids. If you're wondering what fiancé, you aren't alone. Talika was not engaged at the time she moved from California to Michigan. She wasn't dating anyone. This statement was bizarre, and it was a lie, but the team at Borges had no idea that anything was amiss. Talika Patrick is young, brilliant, and full of promise, and she's starting to fall apart. Towards the end of 2012, a few months before moving to Michigan, Talika started contacting Marvin Sapp, a pastor and gospel singer in Grand Rapids, Michigan. The pastor was well-known in gospel circles, and he wasn't unused to this type of attention, particularly after his wife died of cancer in 2010, leaving him a widower in his early 40s. Talika contacted him frequently, although it appears he never acknowledged her correspondence. Talika told her family in New York that she was going to marry Sapp, so it's likely that he was the fiancé she was referring to. In the summer of 2013, about six months after she moved to Michigan, Talika had her first troubling incident. On July 10th, she flagged down a public safety officer in Kalamazoo. She told him that a security guard was following her, and she felt that she was in danger. The officer found her report and her actions bizarre, bizarre to the point that he was concerned about her mental health, and he placed a phone call to the medical school to advise them of the exchange that he had with her. Now, mental illness is a delicate subject, and it's worth mentioning that people with a profound mental illness are at an increased risk of violence against them. They are often vulnerable, and due to their condition, If they file a report with law enforcement or with other people in positions of authority, these reports can be overlooked. So we cannot say if the incident with the security guard on that July day was Talika having a moment of paranoia, or if she felt rightly intimidated by the security guard. We don't know what happened here. What we do know is that her interaction with a law enforcement officer was remarkable to the point that he advised the university the medical school asked Talika to take a drug test, which she passed. Remember, when Talika had her interview with Borges, she told them she'd selected the school and hospital because of its proximity to her fiancé in Grand Rapids. Talika may have believed that she was involved in a relationship with Pastor Marvin Sapp, because by August of 2013, she had sent him upwards of 400 messages and photos. These messages were sent primarily over social media. She was attending services at his non denominational Christian church, though he would tell authorities that he has no memory of ever meeting her. And then one time, while Sap was out of town for work, Talika showed up at his Grand Rapids home and spoke with his children. Remember, Sap was widowed in 2010. Her appearance at his home, this crossed a line he applied for a restraining order to keep her from contacting him or his children. In the restraining order, he noted that she had been telling people that he was her husband. The restraining order was granted in September of 2013. It included not being allowed at his place of work, which essentially cut her off from the church that she had been attending. When Talika received the restraining order, she respected it and ceased contact. Ideally, This would be the end of the story. Talika would take her youth, beauty, and intellect and seek treatment for her illness so she could continue her studies and reach her dream of being a doctor. Unfortunately, that's not how this is going to play out. But first, let's have a word from this week's sponsor. As listeners of this podcast, I know you enjoy true crime stories that evoke curiosity and emotion. Sometimes you want TV, not a podcast. So I'm recommending a new type of documentary streaming service called Magellan TV. Founded by filmmakers, Magellan TV's team of producers and curators created a collection of premium ad free content, diving into diverse subjects and interests like history, science, space, nature, and of course, true crime. With over 1,500 documentary movies, series, and executive playlists, and new content arriving regularly, I'll never run out of things to watch. While looking through the Magellan TV app, I immediately found a documentary that piqued my interest Parachute Murder Plot. This documentary tells the story of Victoria Celier, who jumped out of an airplane at 4,000 feet, something she'd done over 2,000 times before. But this time was different. Her parachute didn't open, and she came crashing down to the ground. Victoria survived, and soon found out someone had tried to kill her for the second time. I won't spoil the story for you. You'll have to watch for yourself. This is just one of the many unique titles I found. Listeners, join me in watching documentaries anywhere... Anytime time by starting your two-month free trial of Magellan TV. Go to MagellanTV.com slash Already Gone to take advantage of their 1,500 documentary movies, series, and executive playlists. That's MagellanTV.com slash Already Gone for two months free. Don't miss this opportunity to discover new documentaries and true crime content that I know we've all been looking for. Talika handled the restraining order well. She left SAP alone. She stopped attending services at his church and did not contact his children or go to his home again. But she wasn't well. Talika was decompensating. In October, Talika struck an animal with her car. She texted a friend back in California that she believed Marvin had possessed the spirit of the animal and sent it to attack her. She followed this up with more messages about demons and things like that but the texts they didn't make a lot of sense she sent similar messages to her brother about sap about their connection about how his thoughts invaded her head messages that left her brother shaking his head or texting back to his sister to ask what she was talking about talika also made some concerning social media postings for instance on the day the restraining order was filed She posted about how she was concerned that the telepathic link she had with Marvin was just a figment of her imagination. She doubted that God had told her she was supposed to be with Marvin, and she was afraid that she had experienced a psychotic break. But she went and looked at Marvin's social media postings, and she saw one of them which she believed contained a hidden message to her, and that calmed her fears. And if all of this isn't worrisome enough, Talika had multiple Twitter handles. They were all pretty transparent, so you'd know that it was her, and most of her activity was directed toward a bearded widower with three children who lived in Grand Rapids, so we know that she was tweeting about Marvin Sapp. In these tweets, she acknowledges that he never calls, texts, or communicates with her directly. It's all a psychic connection, a connection that he speaks to her through. And after the restraining order, while it appears that she never contacted him directly, she continued to tweet about him. She talked about how he left her drained, how he hurt her, and how she became depressed. On November 2nd, she posted, quote, I guess Invega is not as powerful as they advertised. I guess I could tap into it again if I really wanted to. But it started scaring me, so I'm not going to do it anymore. Invega is a medication used to treat schizophrenia and schizoaffective disorder. The generic name of this medication is paliperidone. And we should note that Talika never received a diagnosis of any sort, because she never actually sought help for her mental illness, not as far as we know. But she did work in a hospital as a psychiatric resident, and it's possible that she had access to medication While Invega is available as a daily pill, the medication can be given as a long-acting injection, where the patient takes one shot every four weeks to manage their illness. So listeners, you don't have to imagine her taking a bottle of pills off the shelf and no one noticing. If she used the shot instead of taking pills, it may have been easier to get it covertly. Someone may even have helped her, writing a prescription for her assuming it was worth trying to manage her symptoms but not worth derailing her career by giving her an official diagnosis. On December 4th, Talika contacted a friend in St. Louis and the two talked. She asked him to come see her soon because she was frightened and she was upset. And let's remember that as we walk through the red flags of her declining mental health, we are talking about Dr. Talika Patrick. She went through medical school, she graduated with two degrees. She was in the first year of her residency, where she was considered to be excelling. Residency programs are grueling. There's long hours, there's high stress, it's hard work. That's a lot for a person who isn't struggling with mental health issues. Also on December 4th, Talika tweeted the following, You reach me through a demonic portal. That gives demons power over me and dilutes my spiritual authority please understand that I must protect myself spiritually. I'm assuming that this tweet is about Marvin and about her belief that he was talking to her through psychic channels. The idea that demons had power or control over her, that must have been so frightening. And it's likely why she made the call to her friend in St. Louis, asking him to come to Michigan and see her. On Thursday, December 5th, Talika Patrick deleted her social media accounts. Talika is struggling, and she is in crisis, but she's hardworking, and she's determined. And she did what she always did. She went to the hospital as scheduled on December 5th and worked her full shift. No one noticed anything odd during work hours, but when it was time to leave, Talika put all of her items that belonged to the medical school, her cell phone, her badge, and her IDs, into her locker at Borges, She took her pager with her. At 7.30 that night, she asked a co-worker for a ride downtown to the Radisson Hotel. The hotel is located about two miles south of the hospital, but it was a gray and rainy night, not good for a walk. Talika told the co-worker that she had lost her wallet, so he gave her $100. Oddly, Talika's car was left in the hospital parking lot, the co-worker later said that she was acting strange and the conversation they had was odd. She told him that she was meeting a man at the hotel. She also told him not to attend the morning prayer group at the hospital when he returned to work the next day. Her co-worker let her off in front of the hotel and drove away. He did not know that this was the last time he would see her. Talika entered the hotel lobby. She's wearing a dark hoodie and dark pants, and the hood is pulled up over her head. She stood in the lobby for a few minutes, acting strangely, and her behavior made the front desk receptionist ask if she was okay. Talika said that she was, but she didn't have the money or the ID needed for a room. She needed a ride back to the hospital to pick up some things. The hotel shuttle driver took her back to Borges. If you were interested in seeing a photo of Talika in the hotel that evening, I've posted it to our Facebook page. When the shuttle arrived back at the hospital, Talika reportedly told the driver that she couldn't go back with him and not to tell people that they did this. The driver felt that was an odd statement, and after Talika got out of the shuttle, he stayed and watched her walk into the parking area. He was concerned about her, alone in a hospital parking area at night, so he waited. He later saw a car pull out of the lot, and he assumed it was Talika. The driver put the shuttle in gear and returned to the hotel. He would be the last person to see Talika Patrick alive. If you aren't familiar with the area, Kalamazoo is located in southwest Michigan, and US 131 is a couple of miles west of the hospital. If you were to hop on 131 headed south, it puts you about an hour's drive north of the Indiana border. At 10 p.m. that evening, Indiana State Police received reports of an erratic driver on Interstate 94. The driver would speed up to an excess of 80 miles an hour and then slow back down. The car would veer in and out of traffic, passing other cars. Callers did not describe the driver of the vehicle, but they did say that the driver was the sole occupant of the car. Law enforcement was alerted to a car being off the road near Porter, Indiana, which is about an hour and a half southwest of Kalamazoo. When police arrived on scene about 10 minutes after receiving the call, They found the car abandoned about 40 feet off the road with a flat tire. An immediate search of the area did not locate the driver. In the vehicle, they found a wallet with $7 in it and an ID. No car keys. The next morning, the vehicle was towed away. Police had no way of knowing the crisis that Talika Patrick was experiencing or the danger that she was in. On Friday, December 6th, Talika did not show for work. Attempts to reach her failed, and at about 6.30 that evening, police were called and she was reported missing. Though her car had been found and impounded just the night before in a neighboring state, it wouldn't be until December 10th that a connection was made between missing Talika and the found car. Talika had been driving a white rental car while her car was in the shop, and police believed initially that this was still the case, However, she had picked up her car a day or two before she went missing. They found a receipt from the mechanic who worked on her car saying that the vehicle was not safe to drive due to collision damage and a nail in the tire. It's unclear why she declined to have the tire fixed. It's possible that Talika's vehicle went off the road because that damaged tire went flat, although it's also possible that she veered off the road and the maneuver further damaged the vulnerable tire. I think it's safe to say that Talika's thinking and judgment were impaired that night. With her car being located, investigators began searching the area. They checked hotels, hospitals, rest areas, and the like. The FBI became involved and conducted both ground and air searches looking for the missing doctor. Talika Patrick's social media accounts and bank accounts were untouched after December 5th. She also had not taken any credit cards or bank cards with her. Remember, she'd offloaded all of her hospital items, like her cell, badge, and ID, into her locker Wednesday night, before asking her co-worker for a ride to the Radisson. Search dogs were brought to the scene and tracked back to the highway. There were some limits in this search. It had been more than five days since Talika's car was towed from the spot. The night that she disappeared was cold, rainy. The responses of the dogs led investigators to come up with scenario number one, which is that the car got a flat. Talika hitchhiked and was picked up by an unknown person. Law enforcement initially released information that they believed Talika was headed to Chicago to see family. Later, they would admit that they felt she may have been headed to see her friend in St. Louis, the one that she'd called and asked to come see her. Police did not want to release this information because if Talika did leave on her own to get away and was trying to lay low, they did not want to frighten her by revealing her likely destination. Even while pursuing the idea that she left her car and was picked up by another vehicle, they went with scenario number two, which was that she had not gone very far, and they continued to search the area. There was no snow or ice when Talika went missing on December 5th, but temperatures plummeted on December 6th and stayed cold enough that the nearby lake, Lake Charles, would stay frozen over until April. The lake was very close to where Talika's car was found, so it was a good place for them to search. In late January, about eight weeks after she went missing, investigators did a sonar search of Lake Charles. It wasn't just iced over at this point. The lake was also covered in snow. They used an auger to dig 55 holes in a grid pattern across the lake. Then they used sonar equipment in each hole, but they found nothing. Law enforcement continued to search from winter into the spring. There were plans to send divers into Lake Charles, but a date was not yet set for when that would happen, because it was dependent on the lake being free of ice. Then, on December 6th, exactly four months after she was reported missing, Dr. Talika Patrick's body was found by a fisherman out on a walk around Lake Charles. She was found in about three feet of water, and she was wearing the clothes she was last reported seen in. In her coat pocket, they found her car keys, her pager, and $100, presumably the money her coworker had loaned her when he dropped her off at the Radisson in December. Now, across the lake from the highway is a large truck stop that, late at night, would be highly visible because of its lights. There is a theory that Talika, having driven off the road, started walking toward the lights to get help. After coming over the wooded berm that separated the highway from the lake, the rugged and steep slope to the lake may have taken her by surprise and she fell into the water. There are two issues with this theory. One, there is a fence with barbed wire on top between the highway and the lake, and this exists in an attempt to keep wildlife that frequents the lake from wandering onto the highway. Police said they would not speculate on how she got over, around, or through the fence but it's worth mentioning that it's an older fence with some worn areas that she could have possibly slipped through. Another issue is that the lake does not have a sudden drop-off in depth. It's not as though she could have fallen in and ended up in 20 feet of water immediately. It's unclear why, if she fell in the lake, she didn't turn around and just walk out of the water. Of course, if Talika was seeking to end her life, suicide would explain why she didn't get out of the water although investigators ruled that her death was an accidental drowning. Had she planned to just walk away, never to return? Why take the keys and the money with her? It seems more likely that she took these things because she was headed to get help and fix her flat tire. When an autopsy is performed, her tox screen comes back clear, and the autopsy reveals that she drowned. There were no signs of additional trauma. Talika had not been seen with anyone else at the various times she was spotted that night. Understandably, Talika's family were not convinced that her death was accidental or a suicide. They had a second autopsy performed by an outside agency, but the results were largely the same. Talika Patrick died of drowning, and there were no additional signs of injury. Her family believes that there is more to the story and that investigators were too quick to close the case. Could Talika have tried to hitchhike like originally thought and was picked up by the wrong person? Or worse, could she have been trying to leave because she was being followed? The odd behavior of leaving her car, getting a ride to the hotel, getting a ride back to her car, and then getting in her car to leave? Could this have been an attempt to shake someone that she felt was following her? When she went off the road, if someone was following her, it would have been the perfect time to pull over and grab her. Her erratic driving could have been defensive as she tried to get this person off of her tail. However, callers who reported the car being driven in a dangerous manner made no mention of a second vehicle. They didn't report a pair of speeders, just the lone car, zipping in and out of traffic, exceeding the speed limit, only to slow down again in an unpredictable and unsafe manner. But the January sonar search of the lake was done with advanced equipment, and from all reports, it was extremely thorough. 40 people, including police officers, searched the area just five days before her body was found. This raises the question, could she have been taken from the area and returned later? Shouldn't her remains have been found in January? Regardless of how Talika Patrick met her tragic end, there was a startling shift in coverage of her case. It went from, quote, beautiful, brilliant doctor is missing to, quote, gospel singer's stalker missing. When the restraining order became public and her erratic behavior made the news, that's what the story became about. Talika Patrick was both brilliant and she struggled with mental illness. It is frustrating to see how media coverage minimized her and influenced public view of her case. Her family was upset by this as well concerned that people were more interested in looking for the brilliant doctor and less interested in searching for the so-called crazy lady who probably just wandered off. Talika Patrick was a complex individual. She was smart, determined, driven. She was a sister, a daughter, and her faith was important to her. She valued and was valued by her family and friends. She took pride in not only her accomplishments, but in her daily work. Had she received assistance and support, had someone intervened and connected her with treatment that she needed, her story could have had a very different ending. Already Gone is a true crime podcast focused on Michigan and the Great Lakes region. Episodes are released on the 1st and 15th of each month. Listeners, be sure to join me in watching documentaries anywhere, anytime by starting your two month free trial of Magellan TV. Just go to magellanTV.com slash Already Gone, to take advantage of their 1,500 documentary movies, series, and executive playlists. That's MagellanTV.com slash Already Gone. You can find Already Gone on Facebook. Either give the page a like or join our discussion group to talk about the cases covered here. You can also find us on Twitter at Already Gone Pod. And be sure to come see me in Toronto on August 18th. I'm Nina Instead, the writer, producer, and voice behind Already Gone, additional research assistance provided by Charlie Worrell. I appreciate you listening, and please be safe.